Hey, everybody. Welcome to the second sermon in our series of Identity Crisis. Our pastor, Jonathan, began last week, and he told us that identity is who we are. That's it's not necessarily what we do. It's who we are. I just wonder, let me paint a scenario. If somebody were to come in the back door of our auditorium today, and they walk in and they tell one of our um, guest services people, hey, I don't know who I am. I don't know where I am. Um, I don't know my family. I don't know my friends. I have no idea what brought me here. I don't know my future. I don't even know my name. How terrifying would it be for somebody to lose their identity? So let me paint another scenario. And that's some that some of you are familiar with. And that is, Let's just say that somebody has followed you into a restaurant, has taken your credit card, and somehow they used your credit card to get your social security number, and they've begun the process of opening up accounts that you're not aware of until the creditors start contacting you. You've lost your identity. There's no more security for you. How awful would that be your experience? And some of you have had that experience. You've had to shut down all cards and try to get that debt off of, uh, off of your records. And yet, as bad as those two scenarios about stolen identity present themselves, there are more sinister threats to our identity. Uh, we live in a time where there's a lot of discontentment about who we are, trying to find ourselves, especially among our adolescents, our teenagers, who struggle with who they are, where they fit in, are they loved, are they valued, and you know about that struggle, but it not just affects them, it affects all of us. Whether you are a millennial or an X-Gen or a Z-Gen or one of the old guys, a boomer like me, we're all affected by who we are and the loss of our identity in our lives. Each day we face significant challenges. Do you remember last week Pastor Jonathan gave you the not list of the things that we live with that steal away our identity? Well, I want to use just three of those and paint for you how our identity gets stolen in many ways. I want you to look at this. These are three challenges that happen to us. The first of these identity stealers is the opinions of other people. Oh, my goodness. We live with this so much. Your parents have said things about you. Your friends say things about you. Your partner even says things about you. And your enemies, well, you know they say things about you. Some of them are true. Some of them are not true. But we try to mold ourselves into the image of what other people say about us. We spend a good deal of our lives trying to be what somebody says about us. All of our life, it seems that we wind up living the way others want us to and not necessarily the way God wants us to. We struggle with the opinions of others. Here's another identity stealer, and that's our culture, the culture that we live in. All around us are messages that are constantly bombarding us about fitting in to our culture. Why can't you be like that person? Why don't you dress like them? You should make the same choices they make. You need to buy the same things they buy. 
You need to eat the same food they do. Boy, you'll never have the talent that they have. You'll never measure up to their ability. Why don't you be more like them? And one of the fascinating things in the Christian community is we do the same thing. We go to the hottest church. We try to follow some speaker around wherever he goes. We get tattoos because everybody else got them. You know, I'm tired of this cross. I'm going to get this rid of this thing. Culture speaks and we listen. Sometimes we follow it to our detriment. God's message is for you to be unique the way he made you, the way he created you. You don't have to follow everybody else. Here's the third area that we struggle with. The identity is stolen by the distorted lies that we believe, things about ourselves out of the past that we've told ourselves, unhealed pain from past wounds. Let me say something. I want you to never forget this. An unchallenged lie in your brain becomes a truth that you live by the rest of your life. Distorted beliefs in your mind that you've told yourself over the years about events that have happened to you, situations that have occurred in your life, now becomes a behavioral pattern and an attitude and a lifestyle for us. I don't matter. I'm not important. I'm of no value. I'm never going to amount to anything. I'm flat out worthless. I never get it right. I'm not ever going to get it right. And we say these messages over and over and over again in our minds. I'm worthless. I'm no good. I'm a failure. I can't. I can't. I can't. I won't. I won't. I won't. I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed. And it becomes a lifestyle that we believe, a distorted view about ourselves. We believe those lies, and it steals away our identity. We all struggle with trying to find out who we are and what direction there is in our life. Hey, we want to bring beside you a resource. This next week on the Life Care page of our website is a podcast that I did with uh, Heidi Berkner, one of our therapists in our church. She works outside of our church for 20 years of experience. And she talks about the struggle that her clients have with identity crisis. That is a resource that's coming up by the end of this week on our website. So please look at it. It will be a great strength for you. Speaking of the struggle with identity, I'm reminded about a woman that I heard about. Her name was Evelyn Schmidt. She was 54 years old, and she had a heart attack while she was at home, and she was taken to the hospital, and they immediately did surgery on her heart. While she was on the operating table, she had a near-death experience. She saw a heavenly visitor standing in front of her. And so she asked him, is this my time? Is it time for me to go? And he said, oh, no, Evelyn, I've come to encourage you. You have 43 years, eight months, and two days left to live. And so Evelyn recovered from that surgery and stayed in the hospital. She decided that she was going to have a facelift, liposuction, a tummy tuck, and another cosmetic surgery that my wife says I can't tell you the name of it. And so she did. And she also called in and had her hairdresser color her hair and her dentist sent a technician to brighten her teeth. Since I have 43 more years to live, I'm gonna change. And she did. How awesome is that? 
She recovered from all of those surgeries and was walking across the garage to her car and an ambulance ran over her and killed her. So she appeared in heaven. <clears throat> Arriving at the front gate, Peter asked her, name please, she says, Evelyn Schmidt. So he goes, Evelyn Schmidt, Evelyn Schmidt. Um, <laughs> I don't have your name down here. Evelyn Schmidt, you guys just promised me 43 more years of life and I got run over by an ambulance and that's the reason I'm standing in front of you. She said, oh, Evelyn Schmidt, I am so sorry. You're a whole new person. We didn't recognize you. How awful would that be? At times in our lives, we struggle with projecting an image of what everybody else wants us to be. Whether it's competent or beautiful or exceptional or accepted or loved, we wind up feeling defeated and useless. I love the way that Pastor Jonathan last week talked about how we find our true identity in two sources, two foundational truths. We find our true identity, first of all, from our Creator, God made us in his image. And that means God created for us intellect. We have a brain capacity. We have wonderful ability to be able to reason. He gave us feelings to be able to guide us through life about things that we don't like. And free will, the choice of being able to make decisions for ourselves. That's all part of our creator. Whether we Accept him or believe in him or not, God gave us all that ability. But there's a second foundational truth. What we learn from Jesus Christ, who becomes our Savior, the moment that we repent and turn from our sins and accept Christ as our Savior, the Bible says we become a whole new creature, a whole new creation. In the 17th century, a French philosopher, mathematician, and physicist by the name of Blaise Pascal wrote these words. I want to show them to you. We know God only through Jesus Christ. But we also only know ourselves through Jesus Christ. We only know life and death through Jesus Christ. Apart from Jesus, we cannot know the meaning of our life, the meaning of our death, the meaning of God, or the meaning of ourselves. It is only known in Christ. Those two little words, in Christ, are what the New Testament uses to describe who you are as a Christian. 164 times in the New Testament, those two words are added together, in Christ. It's how God sees you when you become a Christ follower. What about the term Christian, Pastor Ike? Christians only used three times in the Bible. Did you know that? 164 times in the New Testament, God describes who you are and your identity, the way he sees you through those two words, in, in Christ. It's the DNA of who you are, the way God sees you. So I want to give you three truths today about how God sees us in Christ, how he views us in Christ. 
What is God's view of me in Jesus Christ? Here's the first truth that we want to show you. And that is I'm completely accepted by God. Completely accepted by God. Some of the deepest wounds of our lives come from being rejected. The feeling of being rejected by parents, by friends, in school situations. We are rejected sometimes and don't fully understand it. That rejection creates a deep wound inside us, a hole in our spirit because we don't feel accepted. We don't feel loved. And so that trauma, out of that trauma, we seek to solve that pain by trying to find acceptance in our life. And we seek out acceptance through people, through achievements, through our career, through possessions, We fill our lives longing for acceptance. It starts to influence every part of our life. We wear clothes that everybody else wears. Hey, my shirt is tucked in. I don't fit in on this staff. It's because I'm old. We start wearing things. We start purchasing cars that we think will help us be accepted. We buy homes that are in neighborhoods where we want to be accepted. And listen to me, we even sometimes get into careers because somebody suggested us to go down that career path. I was talking to somebody about two months ago and they said, you know, I never wanted to do this as far as my career was concerned, but my family and all my friends made fun of me of what I wanted to do. So now I'm just doing this. How disappointing he was with his career choice in life because he needed that acceptance. I've got some good news for you. You don't have to chase finding acceptance all of your life. God fully accepts you. I want to show you that truth. Look at this amazing verse out of Ephesians. Even before God made the world. Now just let that simmer in your mind just a second because we're going to talk about that. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself in Christ, through Jesus Christ. Think about that just a moment. That'll blow your mind when you think about that. Before God made anything in the world, before he made the oceans, he chose you. Before he made the earth, he chose you. Before he flung the planets into a solar system around the sun, he made and chose you in his mind. He loves you. He accepts you. Before he created all of the galaxies of this universe, the millions and billions of stars. It's funny how the Bible, the Bible says that that was God's handiwork just like he flung it off his fingers. Isn't that amazing? What a great picture that is. I think I'm going to make a universe. Before all of that, the Bible says 
God chose you. How deep is his choice of you? You are totally accepted, completely accepted by God. Here's the second thing that you need to know. I am extremely valuable. Better than even acceptance comes this sense of being valuable. That means having significance. We search for that all of our lives. It's one of our core values that God created in us. I need to matter in this world. Value is important to all of us. In fact, your worth to God is priceless. Let me have fun with you a little bit. What makes something valuable? Well, I dare say that the reason it's valuable is because somebody important owned it. You think about that. What's very valuable to us is that somebody owned it, whether that was a hand down from our parents or something we see from somebody else. Let me give you an example. I put on eBay a pair of basketball shoes that I own, trying to sell them. The same basketball shoes are owned by LeBron James, and they're right beside me on eBay. How much are my shoes worth? Stinking shoes. LeBron's shoes, he can get anything he wants for. It's who owns the shoes. That's the value. Another example. Let's say you have a car, you want to sell it, you go on cars.com, you put it up for sale, and there's another car just like it that was owned by Lady Gaga. How much is your car going to sell for? Not enough. Gaga's going to be gone just like that because it is who owns it that gives value to it. Your value is determined by who you belong to. I want to show you what the Bible says about this. You're extremely valuable because God is your father. You're a part of his family. He adopted you. Remember the verse? He adopted you into his family. That means, listen to me, that means you are joint heirs with your brother, Jesus Christ. That means that when you get to heaven, all that God has in inheritance for his family belongs to you. That's not just me telling you. The Bible says that. You are so valuable to him. He made you to be part of his family. You know, when my kids were little, they used to come and ask me for money. And I never had a problem. Whatever you need, just tell me what you need. And I would give it to them. Whatever they needed. Just come and ask. I want you to see how God views you. In the New Testament, Jesus says in Luke chapter 2, this great illustration. Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest. They don't have storerooms or barns. But God takes care of them. Creator of the universe, God feeds the birds. And you are worth much more 
than birds, Jesus says. If anybody's on God's welfare list, it's birds. They don't do anything but chirp and poop. That's all they do. And God takes care of them. But God says, you are so much more valuable to me than birds. And let's go back. Than the sun. Than the planets. Than the universe. It's you that I value. It's you that I love. And the second reason why we're so valuable is because Jesus Christ, his son, died for our sins. He wanted to bring us back to God because of our sinful separation from God. And so Jesus died on a cross to purchase our sins, to bring us back because of great value. The Bible says this about that. You have been brought, bought and paid for by Christ. So you belong to him. All of us who are in Jesus Christ, you belong to him. We are a part of his family. He didn't die because you're worthless. So many people struggle with this. I'm nothing. I'm useless. I'm no good. I'm junk. Listen to me. Jesus did not die for junk. He died because you are valuable to him. His child. He's your creator. He's your savior. One final thing, and that is we are eternally loved. That's how God views you in Jesus Christ. Eternally loved. I'm completely accepted, extremely valued, but I'm also eternally loved by God. I'm part of his family. <clears throat> okay, let's be honest here. You have family probably in this room and you're probably embarrassed by your family at times. You have a weird uncle. You have a belligerent aunt. You have a strange brother, demanding sister. You've got nerdy parents. Just don't look around at them right now. You just know who they are, right? Okay. We're often embarrassed by them. We're ashamed to be around them or relatives sometimes. And you have holidays coming. Oh, don't remind me, Pastor Ryan. We struggle with our family sometimes. God never struggles with his family. Never. As weird as you may be, as nerdy as you are, God loves you unconditionally, completely. You're eternally loved by God the Father. He is not ashamed of you in any way. As a matter of fact, Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 8. Paul says, no power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's because we are in Christ. We are eternally loved. Nothing will ever keep God from loving you, the Bible says. Often when we interview premarital couples in life care, we go, if you're thinking about getting married and you want to use one of our pastors, you have to go through a premarital counseling process with us in life care. 
And I love to get the chance. I'm not the only one that does it, but I love to get the chance to meet with these couples and talk to them. Here's one of the questions I'll ask them. Hey, brother, <clears throat> why do you love her? Oh, man. She's beautiful, man. Look at her, man. She's hot, man. <laughs> and you know, those of you who know me, no, that's not going to go by without a comment. So I like to play with these nuts. Just like to play with them. So what if she loses her beauty? What do you mean, man? I, I mean, what if she has an accident? She can never smile at you ever again. Would you still love her? Well, <laughs> hey, let me tell you something. Most of you in this room have lost your hotness. I'm so sorry. I used to be a hunk of burning love. I'm still sexy. I know it. The whole point is, loving somebody that way is conditional. It's based on performance. It's based on how they look. And with the aging process that all of us encounter, beautiful becomes a different word for us as we age. We struggle with that. God doesn't love us that way at all. Look at what the Bible says about this. God says in Jeremiah, I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love, with unfailing love. I have drawn you to myself. Wow, what a great verse. God says, you cannot go beyond my love. I love you unconditionally, everlasting, unconditional love. Not if you pray to me, not if you read your Bible, not if you please me, not because you're a nice person. I love you, period, period. I love you unconditionally. Unconditional love is the kind of love that I love you in spite of you. You don't have to do it my way. Listen to me. Those of you who may not be a Christ follower yet, you are eternally loved by God. He loves you. He's ready for you to know him. But that doesn't just your choice whether you do that. But he loves you. Um, the reason we have a hard time with this, with being unconditionally loved, is because you've rarely experienced unconditional love in your life. Um, some moments of unconditional love from parents or grandparents or uh, Deborah and I are now great-grandparents. Oh, y'all just wait. You know, Case can't say anything to us yet, but when he does, he's going to Walmart every day. Every day. Too cute, makes no bad decisions. Now his mama gets upset with him and I'm going, hey, hey, stop. You were that way. 
Unconditional love. Only, only God, only God loves that way. Jeremiah also says with an unfailing love. It's unending. It's constant. God isn't fickle. God is not unpredictable. God doesn't have a bad hair day. God is not moody. God does not wake up on the wrong side of the bed. Some of us grew up with parents, with a parent that you never knew whether they were going to hug you or cuss you. You had no concept as to whether they were mad, sad, or glad, whether they were going to poke you or stroke you, whether they were going to criticize you or build you up. And listen to me, unstable parents create insecure children that struggle with it for a long, long time. You can't make God stop loving you. It is eternal, everlasting, unending. God is never going to love you one ounce more than he does right now, no matter what you do. God is never going to deny his love one ounce more than the way he loves you right now. You can't outlove him. He loves you. Because God's love, listen, God's love is not based on you. As precious as you are, God's love is based on who he is. That's why he loves so much. It's based on his love. You are not what your parents said you were. You are not what other people, friends, or enemies say you were, said you were. You are not what the media or culture says about you. You are not what Satan whispers into your ear. You're not even what you tell yourself you are. That's false identity. But listen to me. In Jesus Christ, you are exactly who God says you are. He loves you and gives you your true identity in his son, Jesus. Let's live that way, shall we? Let's pray together. Lord, I'm so thankful for the power of your love, the great understanding that you have for us, the marvelous way with words you have out of your word that says, Before you ever made anything, you chose to love us. We're perfectly accepted by you, valued by you, loved by you. And to be honest, Father, we don't have a comprehension of that at all. Help us not be driven by trying to be accepted by everything else Help us find a way to find our value and our significance and our acceptance of who we are by resting in your arms and letting you lead us. Today, God, transform our false identity 
into true identity. In Jesus, your name we pray, amen.